and welcome to Misinformation, a trivia podcast for ladies and gents who love cool trivia and sticking it to annoying teams at Pub Quiz. We're your hosts. I'm Lauren. And I'm Julia. Hey, Jewel. Hi, Lauren. Hey, we're, I'm drinking a glass of wine. It's 8.30 at night on a Friday. I'm drinking a Paps Blue Ribbon hard coffee. Because mm, that's where delicious. I'm at in life right now. I got uh, one of those in my fridge, too. <laughs> I think you gave it to me, actually. It's good. No, it's really good. It tastes like delicious. one of those Starbucks double shots, but mm. with beer in it. I don't know. Weirdly Whatever. beer in it. Crack it one works. open. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull a Justin McElroy and crack, crack, it. <laughs> crack it open. Rip it, mic. rip it, baby. <laughs> Steve and I do that to each other all the time, like in different rooms and stuff. We like scream it at each other. <laughs> um, but I am, I am primed. I am ready for today because today is our first episode of Guestober, which we have not come up with a song for yet. Actually, I realized <laughs> we will brainstorm it and we will drop it in right here. Oh, that was, that was oh so good. Oh my God, it was so good. We get better That's and hilarious. better every year. Every year we're so fucking funny, honest to God. But <laughs> our our first guest is going to set us off with a bang, and I'm very excited, and we're in different time zones, and today we have Ryan Myers from Wichita, Kansas. Hello, Ryan. Ryan hello. Howdy. How are you all? We're great. We're so excited. As you I can tell, we're doing we're doing great. Oh yeah, I, I wish I were doing great. Yeah. No, I'm well. I'm well. I also, I actually, I unironically say howdy, and it's not just a Kansas thing. I started saying it ironically, and then I couldn't stop. Hey, you know what? That's fine. I've been saying, you know, a hundred percent as like an agreement thing for the past like five or six years. I woke up with it in my brain one day, and that's just how I do it. So I get Did it. You dip your get toe in it to make sure it was well received first. No, I just launched. <gasps> ballsy yeah. i dig that i know Thank i you. went through a summer where i did finger guns at everybody all the time and i was like lauren you have to find me a dollar every time i do finger guns because you know addicting. <laughs> it worked it worked as soon as she said it she never did it again because she doesn't want to pay me nothing i'm gonna keep that in mind for next time i need to have it that, that yeah. needs to be broken Make someone, yeah, make someone, you know, insist on getting paid every time. It works. It works. But Ryan, please tell us about your topic today. We're very excited for it. Uh, well, I think originally it was Kat Thompson who suggested to you all that mm -hmm. I should approach you all with an episode about figure skating. I my cannot wait. <laughs> I cannot wait for this. Is this something you are familiar with in any capacity? Julia, do you know anything in about In terms of watching the Winter Olympics, sure. So I had a great aunt. Her name was Aunt Mame. And she lived in Florida and she was a riot. Uh, she would drink a whole bottle of wine every night and just like tell truths. You know what I'm saying? And she loved figure skating so much. She would tape it and she would like watch it. It would be on the background in the, the house all the time. My dad thought it was ridiculous, but that is my exposure to figure skating. Was and then my you guys meme. inherited like 20 Rubbermaid tubs full of VHS tapes, <laughs> recorded shows of figure skating. <laughs> I unfortunately did not. Those went to her kids, but one day I'm going to find them. 
That sounds like a lovely little trove. Um, what when I, when I say figure skating, what are some uh, names that come to mind? <gasps> oh yeah, Dorothy Hamill. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Huh? Christy Yamaguchi. Oh yeah, Yamaguchi. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> the uh, Yamaguchi. I'm pretty sure that's what they uh, call her. Michelle Kwan. Um, who was um the uh, the Russian girl Olyankovic? Wait, oh. what was her name? You'll probably mention her, Ryan. <laughs> Oksana Bayul. Oksana Bayul. That's who I'm thinking of. She, yeah. Unless she, she's yeah, a gymnast. Yeah, but... <laughs> right now, I'm just No, Oksana Bayul is uh, Ukrainian. Oh, um, Ukrainian. Okay. Uh, well, it, she's the first person to win uh, Olympic gold for Ukraine ever. And that was right after the Soviet Union oh. dissolved. Actually, not right after. It was three years later. But anyways, um, so I'm going to talk about figure skating. We're going to talk about the history of it. We're going to talk terms, famous people, events, uh, because it's really a fascinating world. There's a lot of drama. There's a lot of excitement. And I don't know how I got into it, honestly. I just really enjoy watching it. So let's let's just start off with uh, actually origins of figure skating, because uh, people didn't just start figure skating out of nowhere. Uh, so the origins of it lie in Northern Europe, as you may imagine, and the idea of gliding on ice, just walking across ice to get from one point to another was invented around 1000 BC by the Finns. Uh, Finland is just full of lakes and ponds and other water structures, which honestly are in the way for most of the time. And, you know, sailing was cool at that point, but you can't sail when you are on solid ice. So somewhere along the way, someone probably out of either stubbornness or laziness just said, why don't we walk across the frozen pond in the winter? Anthropologists in this area have found skates from around that time and uh, later before modern innovations. Uh, do you know what these ancient fins used to make the blades of their skates, ladies? Is it bones? I it is to say. animal bones. Nice. You're absolutely correct. Anything kind of long and like foot-sized mm-hmm. would do. So like a jaw would have been common Oof. or any kind of like arm or leg bone. Uh, they would kind of chisel them down just a little bit. Uh, one source I found says that ice skates are the oldest human-powered form of transportation. And other than, you know, just like straight up walking, I'm not sh- quite sure I can think of anything else. That's cool. That's I never cool. thought about yeah. that. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, and these these bone skates would simply glide across the ice, attached to the wearer's feet or ankles by leather straps. And I say guide pretty specifically because it wasn't until later in the 13th century-ish uh, with innovations in uh, metallurgy when the Dutch started making blades of steel and actually giving them edges. Mm. Uh, so these sharpened edges would make it easier to turn and navigate the ice. Uh, but maybe more importantly, they cut into the ice a bit and just this little bit that cuts into the ice kind of helps these skates stay in place so you're not gliding you're actually kind of in a little track Mm. so Mm. it'll help you not fall at least as much yeah i definitely fall a lot on skates can you imagine like us just strapping like a moose jawbone onto our feet (laughs) and like trying to trying to glide down park avenue in january (laughs) That's a nightmare. But you know what? Who knows? We might be really good at it. Like you just texted me today and said, we would be amazing pole vaulters, wouldn't we? And I was like, yes, absolutely. So <laughs> how hard could it be? I how love that. How hard could it possibly be? So, 
So, you know, we, we already have the, uh, the power of hubris behind us with a lot of things. So that's the power that can make you do anything. Exactly. Um, and so I think I said that it was, uh, in about the 13th century, the Dutch started making these blades of steel and the Dutch are kind of where all this starts in a modern sense. Mm. The Finns were the ones who had the, the archaic, like bones for your skates but the dutch when steel started coming out were really the powerhouse behind this and uh they they have a very rich history in skating uh they've had world champions with uh sukia dijkstra in the 60s and diane de Leeu shortly after that um but the dutch have a real penchant for speed skating Uh, The Dutch have won 121 medals in speed skating at the Olympics. And the next highest country on that list is the U.S. with 68. Oh, my God. That's amazing. I had no idea. That's the coolest thing. They're so tall and so fast. They're they're so, so good at that. Just historically and still even to this day. Mm -hmm. Like some of their biggest celebrities, actually, just in terms of sports, some of the biggest Dutch like athlete celebrities, apart from like soccer players, are speed skaters and field hockey players. Like they are hella into that stuff. <laughs> That's wild. That's cool. I had no idea. Um, furthermore, ice skating itself was popularized recreationally in the Netherlands, just strapping on skates and going out and doing your thing. And unusual for its time, it was something that really any class of person could do. Skates weren't too terribly expensive. And, you know, you might have like the rich person skating pond, but it was it was something enjoyed across all classes. Uh, even people like priests uh, did it. Uh, you may know the uh, painting from about the 1790s by Henry Rayburn called The Skating Minister, which is just yes. a minister one foot down, one foot back, looks like a little flamingo. Uh, and... Back to the Dutch, because I think Rayburn was Scottish. Uh, it's very likely that you'll see any of the old Dutch masters uh, have skating in their paintings. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hendrik Averkamp was probably the best known for this kind of thing. He would show uh, paintings of just hordes and hordes of people on a frozen canal, mm-hmm. which would be a really popular place because, mm-hmm. I mean, we didn't have technology to keep, keep ice cold. So you just had to hope the ice was thick enough and that it was cold enough. Yeah, I'm reminded of like Bruegel, like a lot of the Bruegel winter scenes had. Yeah, um, yeah. both Ryan and I work at art museums, by the way. So kindred spirits. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So we're going to be talking about art a little bit, I think. Uh, But yeah, there's a lot of um, depictions of that. And Bruegel was mm, 16th century. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, that's even an early example of like, you know, it being kind of um, like an egalitarian activity that would happen. Yeah, because he, he'd show you the, these these paintings, him and Overkamp, and mm-hmm. you would see like like raggedy little kids running around doing mm-hmm. it. They'd be skating. Uh, there there was one specifically that shows kids playing more or less hockey. They've got little field hockey type sticks and a ball on the ice, uh, or at least some kind of hockey stick shaped implement. <laughs> Uh, and some of this has to do with Overkamp coming of age in the very late 1500s, uh, which was an era known as the Little Ice Age, uh, mm-hmm. which followed a rather long streak of warm spells in medieval Europe. 
it is worth mentioning, so we don't get too Western in our perspective here, that ice skating was also done in China as early as like the 900s AD. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was also popularized there in uh, the 1600s when the Qing Dynasty family like really got into skating. They were just really into it for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. So while ice skating was certainly popularized in the European sphere, it was not uh, just only located there it was popular elsewhere i couldn't find anything really that said that europeans brought it to china or if they found this like tech and ideas out on their own but it definitely was a worldwide thing Mm -hmm. Uh, so with the spread of figure skating in the netherlands it's time to branch out to the rest of europe because skating obviously didn't just stay with the dutch Uh, james ii who was the last catholic monarch of england was exiled in favor of william iii of orange who surprise was dutch in origin Mm -hmm. the twist here is that william did not popularize skating in england but it was james who came back from exile and wanted to share his new favorite sport with everyone of course (laughs) yeah And so uh, the trend started with the aristocracy and worked its way down. And like in the Netherlands, became a recreation enjoyed by everybody. And in the 1740s, Edinburgh became the site of the first skating club. Uh, Mm. And while you might not think Scotland is really a big name in ice sports, especially skating, let's not forget that curling was invented in Scotland. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Because it's so it seems so Canadian now because there's so many Canadian teams and there's like curling clubs and stuff. But yeah, oh, yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's exactly what those clubs were. You'd go there and you'd skate, you'd curl, you'd do various things. And so this club, though, this club had some requirements. They were not just going to let any old person with skates join. You had to pass a series of rigorous tests. First, you had to be able to jump over a hat that was placed on the ice. Whoa. I All right. That. If that's too easy, they'd lay a second hat down. And then a third stacked on top of each other. You had to be able to get high on your skates. Wow. The only other requirement they had was being able to skate in a complete circle on one foot. And because excessive leaning on just like one foot would just make you absolutely eat ice uh, in any other (laughs) circumstance, the shape most recommended for this was a figure eight. And this is where the term figure skating originates. Oh, I didn't even connect that. Yeah, that it, is uh, so interesting. I don't know. It's, it's one of those things where you the phrase is so familiar that mm-hmm. you don't even really bother to think where figure came from, or you have your own idea. You're like, well, they make figures on the ice, but yeah, it specifically comes from that pattern on the rink of making the uh, lemniscate shape. And uh, while that's a perfect segue into figure skating as a sport and competition, we need to address a few other things first. Okay. One, I keep saying ice skating was enjoyed by all classes. And this was mostly true uh, everywhere except for France. Ooh, okay. Only the upper classes enjoyed doing it because, of course, they did. Mm -hmm. Uh, Napoleon and uh, the Madame de Pompadour were both noted fans. And two, Queen Victoria of uh, the United Kingdom, or Great Britain at that time, rather, became acquainted with her husband, Prince Albert, through a series of ice skating trips. Uh, And this was during a period uh, called Rink Mania, uh, a period during the 1840s when fans became absolutely fixated on being able to have artificial ice available to them Mm. because they still didn't quite have the technology to keep ice cold and indoors. So do you know or have a guess at what this artificial ice was made of? Oh, jeez. Oh, um, 
What was available during that time besides water? <laughs> um, uh, ooh, shoot, shoot, Joel. I don't know. I'm worried. Um, glass. I'm going to say glass. Frozen glass. That's oh a my bad guess. God. I'm just like imagining if, if you better hope you don't fall and I go know, right? far. Uh, it was delicious. Just imagine you, you, you're skating and you accidentally fall down. You're only going to fall into a combination of salt and hogs lard. Oh, hogs lard. Of course. That <laughs> sounds disgusting. And apparently that, the, that, that consistency was <clears throat> ice-ish enough. Mm. So, yeah, just if you fall in Victorian England on the rink, you're going to get a mouthful of hogs lard. Rink Gross. mania. All right, rink, am I right? Rink mania. <laughs> I'm getting a t-shirt. <laughs> Matching t-shirts. It has That's Queen Vicky on one leg with, like, some pigs around her. Yes. <laughs> That's very good. I the love pigs that. also have skates, for the record. <laughs> yes, well, yeah, yes. obviously. Sorry. Obviously. <laughs> um, and so, moving ahead, uh, while racing on skates was the real first competition in regards, in regards to, you know, seeing who's best on skates, uh, going back about as far as the modernization of the steel blade, figure skating as a sport emerged in the mid to late 1700s. But it was really nothing more than figure eights and circles making figures so to speak mm -hmm. so how do we get from j little jumps over hats and standing on one rigid leg to triple axles uh, i gotta tell you about jackson haynes in the years right before the civil war here in the u.s the skating craze hit america at this time uh, jackson haynes was a spry teenager he was born in new york and he was the first to incorporate his passion into figure skating do you have a guess of what his passion might be? Dance. Uh, I was going to say country music because his name sounds like a country music star. It sounds like Jackson Maine, who is Bradley Cooper in A Star is Born. Uh, there we go. That's but what I was thinking of. <laughs> actually, you are correct, Julia. It is ballet. It's dance. Hey, good job, Joel. The traditional English style, as it's called, of figure skating was very rigid. Lots of straight legs and right angles. The skating minister painting would come mm -hmm. to mind. Haynes comes in, and he, while on the ice, flows gracefully through his figures. Uh, think of it kind of like an Art Deco versus Art Nouveau kind of comparison. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Haynes's innovations are where we get more artistic jumps and moves in figure skating, and he's generally credited as the father of figure skating because of this. When the Figure Skating Hall of Fame opened in 1976, he was among the first people inducted. Mm. He was very dead, of course, but he's still <laughs> one of the first inducted. Uh, he's also sometimes credited as the first person to incorporate music into his routine routines, uh, though this has been claimed by many different people over the years. Mm -hmm. Uh, before these more graceful movements and this music incorporated into it came about, skaters would just listen to a judge uh, called a caller on the sidelines, and the caller would just yell out what uh, move to perform, and then they would do it. Okay. It was uh, very stodgy before yeah. Haynes came along, to say the least. Haynes, with all these innovations, was laughed out of america unfortunately <laughs> audiences thought his performances were silly and as we see in history over and over again audiences were resistant to change mm. sure yeah uh haynes took his ideas uh he had a very entrepreneurial mind and he took it to europe if they're not sure. going to like it in america they're certainly going to like it in europe and viewers there adored him 
He became a must-see attraction. Uh, he won competitive medals and hearts along the way. In 1868, pandering to the Viennese crowds and Emperor Franz Joseph I, who's, uh, by the way, that's where we get Kaiser role from, is him, uh, incorporated waltzing into his routine by surprise, and it bowled everyone over. They just mm. fell madly in love with him. Oh, yeah, I bet. Like that's the fr- like it must have been like, oh my god, so graceful and beautiful. Like it he was just doing just- his routine, and then he just incorporated a waltz right into the middle of that and changed his style, and they lost their oh my god. minds. He was adored in Vienna. Mm-hmm. Uh, he actually that performance was so successful, and he was so successful in that city that he opened up a skating school in that city that he oh, wow. taught cool. at personally. Uh, Haynes also pioneered pairs dancing. Uh, bringing two people on the ice to perform together mm-hmm. as you can, you know, gather. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he would uh, perform with his student Franz Balazzi. And the best part about this is Balazzi would typically perform in a bear costume. What? <laughs> I wasn't ready for that. I no, didn't I wasn't ready for that. I that was going to happen. I was I like, know. oh, you know, he performed in a dress or like they were dressed the same or like he was like way better than him or something. I was not expecting a bear. Not expecting oh, a no. bear. And I, I couldn't tell you if it was more Revenant or more Midsummer, but mm. it could be one of the two. <laughs> um, also, him dressing up with another man as a bear is actually factually the gayest thing in the history of figure skating. <laughs> and I, I, I'm an authority on that. So <laughs> it's pretty delightful. Done and done. Like, put it on uh-huh. board. And I, and I mean, uh, the people, have, you, have you seen costumes from figure skating in the past like, yes. several decades? It's, it's, it's pretty gay. <laughs> And I love it. That's one reason why I love figure skating so much. Um, but uh, to help with stability, Haynes was also notably the first person to screw his skates into his boots directly, doing away with straps. Okay. It took it took hundreds of years for someone to to think of that. Sadly, though, Haynes was never able to make it back to the states with his newfound confidence and success. Uh, he died in Finland in 1875 of the. Very classic, traditional, getting pneumonia while traveling by sled during a blizzard. Happens. It happens. Almost However, happened his... St- <laughs> <laughs> it happens to the best of us. It really oh, yeah, does. Right. Um, however, his style did eventually hit the U.S. after his death, as trends and fashion typically do. Uh, the first international style, as it was now called, as opposed to English style, the first international style figure skating championships were held in 1914 in New Haven, Connecticut. I'm surprised it happened that late. It uh, so so there had been many competitions all around, but there was no governing body, mm. nobody to really sanction them. Uh, you can just say you won medals, and people be like, okay, whatever. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't until uh, the late 19th century when uh, competitions and organizations were first sanctioned by the ISU, the International Skating Union. And that's still the big governing body today. Mm, okay. So before we enter the 20th century, there's one more name that you should know, and it's a big one. It's Axel Paulson. Is that where Paul. we get the triple Axel idea from and all that stuff? You would think so. <laughs> oh, and you'd be correct. It's uh, named after him. Uh, Paulson was uh, Norwegian. And he excelled at both figure and speed skating. Uh, He was actually the world champion in speed skating from 1882 to 1890 every single year. Oh my God, wow. Uh, And he's best remembered for inventing the jump now called the axle. 
Now, uh, in figure skating, there are lots of jumps and terms. And I'm not really going to get into the different kinds of jumps on this episode because it's really no use apart from naming them. <laughs> and I'll go ahead and name them for you just, just for reference's sake. There's the Euler jump spelled like uh, uh, Leonard Euler, the mathematician. The Euler jump, E-U-L-E-R. The <laughs> toe loop. The loop. The flip. The lutz. The sal cow. And the axle. Now, the reason that I'm not going to go through and name the differences between all of these jumps is because it really just depends on how you jump and how you land. Mm. It's all based on the front of your foot, the back of your foot, and the inside of your foot and the outside of your foot. It just depends on which one you take off on and which one you land on. (laughs) And so the axle, for example, means you jump off the front outside edge of your skate and you land on the back outside edge of your skate. And even for a fan like me, it's really difficult to tell these apart when you're watching. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the axle, though, has a big distinction that makes it still to this day the most difficult jump and the easiest spot. And that it's the only jump in the sport where the skaters face forward to take off. They're looking ahead and jumping instead of having their back uh, in the direction they're going and jumping. Uh, Okay. Every other jump starts that way. And because of this, the axle requires an extra half rotation, meaning it's more difficult than the other jumps. Mm -hmm. And this is why there was such a big deal about the triple axle in the eighties and nineties. Uh, Vern Taylor of Canada was the first person to ever land one in competition. And he did it in 1978 and Midori Ito of Japan, who I know from, other than figure skating being in like every other crossword (laughs) uh, was the first woman to do it. And she did it in 1989. Tanya Harding was the first American woman to achieve the feat. And that was a focal point of the movie. I Tanya. Yeah, exactly. Which Steve thought was a documentary by the way. Yes. Which we, we we will, I will never remind him of that that forever. (laughs) If you do. So there, if you do want a good Harding Kerrigan feud documentary, ESPN did a 30 for 30 called the price of gold. Yes. That was very good marvelous mm-hmm. and then just for trivia purposes i tanya of course was oscar nomination for margot robbie and allison janney winning supporting actress for playing her mother lavona golden who was a who's a dream josh is, is shaking his head but uh, allison janney is a treasure and we don't deserve her we we her and her like eight emmys she's amazing she's amazing um back to paulson though his other lasting effect uh, was the modern skate in which the blade was directly incorporated into the boot, like what Haynes was doing, but more officially and cohesive. Okay. Uh, the, the the Haynes blade would have been attached to a piece of metal that was in the bottom of the boot. Paulson incorporated it into the boot mm-hmm. okay. instead of just being like screwed in and attached. Uh, but innovation in blade technology and another iconic jump came about with a neighboring Swede, which is Ulrich Salkow. Oh, that's like the name another of the last name. Look You're right yet again. <laughs> uh, Sal Cal was probably the first true skating icon worldwide. In 1909, he performed the famous jump named after him. And this was well into his career. Sal Cal mm-hmm. won the World Figure Skating Championships 10 times between 1901 and 1911. And he opted out of the 1906 championships, not because of some tragedy or anything like that. It was because they were held in Munich and he feared he was not going to be judged fairly because his biggest rival, Gilbert Fuchs was competing there and he sure. was from Munich. Oh, and yeah, so of course. this tension created probably the first 
big skating rivalry and skating writers and fans love a good rivalry. Absolutely. Uh, Fuchs in turn actually did not compete at the 1908 Olympics in London because he feared that the judges were going to favor Salcow. Mm-hmm. They were very petty. Uh, and the 1908 Olympics were the first Olympic figure skating competitions uh, uh, that were held. Oh, cool. And the interesting thing about this is that it was the Summer Olympics where it was held. Oh, that's, oh, that's cool. Huh. And because of that, it also makes it the first winter sport that was ever played at the Games. Oh. Uh, was this, this on ice yet? Or was it? Was this on ice yes. yet? Or okay, it they, wasn't. They right. were still doing ice hog because lard. it was outside, and yeah, uh, the, oh God, good old hogs lard. <laughs> um, the Swedes swept to the podium that year. Salkow took gold, and Madge Sires took home the lady singles title. She was British, so she won in her home country. She's also noted for being the first woman to compete at the World Championships. And you might say, Ryan. Why is that notable? It's notable because she went up against men only. She took home the silver medal in the 1902 championships. And that prompted the International Skating Union uh, to create a separate category for women. Hell yeah. Oh, so it wasn't that. It wasn't that because, you know, a lot of sports are divided between men and women. It was because they were afraid that women were going to be too good at figure skating that they were like, ooh, let's give them their own thing. Because clearly we're going to get swept every year. I see. It would be totally unfair to defeat mm-hmm, a man. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so competitive skating started getting into the swing of things, especially in Europe. But it stopped because World War One happened. Sure. <laughs> and uh, Europe being the hub for the sport, you know, uh, probably not a good idea to have yeah. lots of travel at that time. Uh, but coming out of the war, figure skating earned its first bona fide, true icon of the sport and uh she was a norwegian woman with a big old smile and do you know her name by chance i don't julia do you know who this is i'm sorry i'm putting you on the spot oh i don't i don't know i don't know i don't think i know her name is sonia hanny Damn it. No, we know who she is. Would we? Yeah. I believe you. (laughs) Uh Henny won the Norwegian senior championship uh when she was ten. So she was beating old teenagers and 20-somethings when she was 10. By the time she was 15, she was a world champion. By 1936, when she was 24, she'd won 10 consecutive world titles. She was an absolute star. She could not be stopped. And she's really important. She broke the mold uh, for performance. Up until that point, you know, men would wear tuxedos on ice and women would wear their giant hats with their muffs and their big fur coats. But Henny didn't want any part of that. Even though the sport would take place in a cold climate, she wore elegant knee length skirts, carried herself with grace and poise, and people just could not look away. She really added the performance element Mm. of figure Mm -hmm. skating. It wasn't just, oh, look, they made a jump. It was like, it was breathtaking. Yeah. to anyone who's watching. She is pretty much the reason that skating is known for its elegance today. Mm-hmm. Cool. And in 1936, that same year she was 24, won her 10th world title, uh, she made her Hollywood debut in the movie One in a Million. It was a musical produced by 20th Century Fox. 
and the film was a blockbuster hit. It made over a million dollars at the time, which in 1936 was a big deal. That's what mm-hmm. your big uh, adventure films and your big musicals would make. Mm-hmm. So she was a star. And Henny would go on to appear in 10 more films through 1948, earning top billing on every single one, even over her male counterparts who had been established for quite some time. Between 1928 and 36, she won three Olympic golds in a row. And uh, that's now when I have to tell you that she was a favorite of Adolf Hitler. Oh, yeah. Mm. Was she blonde and blue eyed? That makes she sense. was very blonde yeah. and probably blue eyed. Yeah, yeah. uh, Henny greeted Hitler at the 36 games held in Berlin with the Nazi salute. And uh, <laughs> she, she was very heavily criticized in her home country mm-hmm. for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, once World War II broke out years later, when occupying Germans entered Norway and entered her family's home, they saw an autographed picture from Hitler in the house and kind of left everything the way it was. Get her dad was a big fan and so henny was considered by many to be a traitor or a quisling which is a word you might come across sometimes named after a uh, politician there who kind of just kowtowed to the nazis Uh, however in the 50s she did come back and she won hearts and minds in norway with the holiday on ice tour Mm -hmm. not that that really excuses anything no of course not but damn. Yeah. And so we're moving along after Henny's reign and World War II happens, shutting competition down yet again. When we return, the U.S. gets excited because they have their first star in the gloriously named Dick Button. Yes, I've heard of Dick Button. Why have Dick I heard of Button, Dick which is just an absolutely immaculate That's a name. Fantastic name. Uh, he was 19 years old in 1948, and Button won his first championship. And then four years later, won the world title in the Olympics again. He became the first person to ever land a triple, which is jumping three full spins in the air and landing it uh, like 1,080 degrees. And Button also invented the flying camel spin. The camel spin is that thing where a skater stands on one leg like a flamingo and their torso and other leg are parallel to the ground and they spin around. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Button... Uh, instead of just going straight into that, incorporated a little leap into it and then starting Ooh. to spin around. And you'll Ooh. see that a lot nowadays. Mm-hmm. Uh, Button has also been a longtime commentator for the sport on American TV, starting as early as the 60s and making his way into the last decade. That's probably Not- where I've heard his name. Uh-huh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, And especially during the Olympics, because Mm -hmm. uh, notably ABC had on air segments where he would answer questions from viewers. And the name of that segment was push Dick's button. Oh oh my God. And that's, they were so so happy. They hired him just because they knew for that. (laughs) I don't know how you could. It wrote itself. Honestly, you can't go by Richard button. (laughs) No, you can't have to be Dick button. Yes. Uh, And so we move through the 50s, where Americans start to dominate the singles scene. Mm -hmm. Uh, Brothers Hayes Allen Jenkins and David Jenkins take home every world title from 1953 to 59. And Carol Heiss won five straight times from 56 to 60. But in 1961, figure skating suffered its first tragedy. Oh, no. In 1961, the world championships were being held in Prague. 
On the way to Prague was the U.S. figure skating team, which included nine-time U.S. champion Maribel Vinson. She was a coach at this point. Uh, she was very highly sought after. And on this flight, which was Sabena 548 out of Idlewild Airport, which is now John F. Kennedy in New York, mm-hmm. the pilots lost control of the plane uh, when its power wouldn't stop increasing and their landing gear was lowering. And they were flying over Belgium when this happened, and they attempted to make several touchdowns, but they could not wrest control, and they ended up just nosediving. <gasps> That's awful. Yeah, the it was it was front page news on wow. yeah. every major U.S. paper, every major European paper. Uh, newly elected President JFK made a speech about the tragedy, having only been in office for less than a month at that point. Oh my God. Wow. And uh, the number of coaches alone that were killed in that flight led to a huge vacuum in the U.S. Mm. And so we had so many foreign trainers coming in mm-hmm. uh, to fill those spots. And that's something that still happens today. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, same with uh, gymnastics now, too. Yeah. And U.S. skating still holds a mandate today that no team can fly completely ever uh, again together. They cannot all be on one plane. Oh, that's interesting. I know. Because of that tragedy, everyone's split up into two or more planes now. Mm. Uh, This uh, ended up canceling the World Figure Skating Championships in 1961 entirely. Wow. Wow. My God. This, however, allowed younger skaters to move in as competition was now lowered. Mm. And so Mm -hmm. Scott Allen who's he's not really famous but he won silver at the 1962 u.s championships when he was only 12 because of this oh my god that's too young let these children go to school he's not even (laughs) done growing yet i know it's little bones good lord uh (laughs) so after that alan ended up winning bronze at the 64 olympics and he was just 15 hmm Uh, But like a Hollywood movie starring Sonia Henney, out of tragedy arose another legend, and that would be Miss Peggy Fleming. Yes. Fleming Fleming was the U.S.'s return to glory. She won nationals in 66, uh, the following year, and the year after, where in 68, she took home Olympic gold. And this was the only gold medal the U.S. won that year all mm. uh, albeit for a performance generally considered absolutely flawless wow oh and God. like button fleming has been a popular commentator on the sport as well and a very beloved figure even into the 80s and 90s when she was no longer competing i think there was a poll maybe done by the associated press in the late 80s asking for your most admired female athletes and she hadn't been competing for 20 years and she was the third highest oh my god uh, like ranked people adored her And it's also worth mentioning from the 60s and throughout the 70s, the name Irina Rodnina from the Soviet Union. Like Salko and Henny, Rodnina won 10 consecutive world championships, uh, but in pairs skating. Okay. What makes this even more interesting is she had two different partners during that period. And, you know, getting used to a partner like that can take years. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And she's absolutely revered in Russia for the success. And at the 2014 Winter Olympics in Sochi, she lit the Olympic cauldron. Oh, wow. To give you an idea of how much they loved her there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the 70s are a really odd decade for figure skating because there was really no consistency. You didn't really have people winning over and over. They would win for a couple of years and then they would fade out. You'd mm-hmm. have a new champion. Uh, one notable name from the 70s, though, is Dorothy Hamill. 
Of course. Uh, we know her because of her haircut. Exactly. Yes. My next line is who popularized the page boy haircut in the U.S. during <laughs> yes. her 76 Olympic glory. Uh, the 80s are when things started to speed up. Mm. Uh, skaters were moving faster and spinning tighter than ever before due to advances in technology and training. Skaters were unfortunately for this starving themselves and denying mm-hmm. their bodies water in order to lose any and all excess weight. That way they'd still have these big beefy leg muscles that could launch their very light bodies into the air and they'd be able to turn more. It was also another dominant era for Americans with Scott Hamilton and Brian Boitano among the most successful men and Debbie Thomas, the rare black skater succeeding as well. Right. Uh, the real star of the eighties though was the beautiful, powerful East German Katarina Witt. Mm, Nobody yes. dominated the mid to late 80s like Witt, who was known for her stunning outfits and her pure, raw talent. She won back-to-back in 84 and 85, and she was considering retiring after the 86 World Championships, but she ended up getting upset by Debbie Thomas, who won oh, wow. uh, Worlds that year. And she, the, the, the second place finish left a really bitter taste in her mouth. Mm-hmm. And so that lit a fire underneath her. And then she won the world championships the next two years in a row again. Hell yeah. <laughs> uh, and with the Olympics taking place every four years with a fresh new crop of faces, uh, Vitt's 88 gold medal in Calgary marks the last time a woman has defended her Olympic lady singles title. Oh, wow. wow. I'm surprised. Skating, you get new people almost every yeah. year. Yeah. Um, and both Vit and Thomas faced off that year. And what made it a big deal wasn't their rivalry. It was because they were both skating to music from Carmen. Uh, oh, watch out. And, you know, Carmen. they wouldn't be able to know that's what each of them had picked back in 88. Yeah. They're different countries, didn't have tech like today. Yeah. And so this became known as the Battle of the Carmens. And it was the rage. Oh, my God, I bet. This is in Calgary, 88, you said? Correct, uh, yes. Two of my favorite sports movies are based in Calgary, 1980 Olympics. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> you got Cool Runnings. You got yes. Eddie the Eagle. <laughs> I love I love this this uh, cinematic universe that doesn't mm-hmm. know it's a thing yet. <laughs> uh, so before we leave the 80s, uh, I have to talk about Torval and Dean, or else our British listeners might send me irate messages. Uh, this duo, Jane Torval and Christopher Dean. Uh, were the absolute heart and soul of the 84 British Olympic team, uh, the absolute pride of the nation. They took home uh, gold together, doing a dazzling skate to uh, Maurice Ravel's Bolero. And I mention that because that's a trivia question that's come up several that's times. All that comes life. up, Ravel Bolero. That's all you need to that's know. It. Bolero, mm-hmm. Ravel, Ravel Bolero. What does it sound <laughs> and- like? Nobody knows. Just keep the words associated in your head. Exactly. Maurice Ravel and Bolero, precisely. Um, but like the uh, the BBC has made documentaries about these two. Uh, there was a television movie about them. Like mm-hmm. they will forever, never have to buy a drink in a bar of their own accord <laughs> ever again. Uh, so in come the '90s, and despite competitors like Chen Lu and Yuka Sato and Oksana Bayul succeeding, it was a true decade for American success on the women's front. Mm-hmm. You had Jill Trenary. Christy Yamaguchi, Tara Lipinski, and this one woman you might have heard of named Michelle Kwan. 
that won women. Yes. Uh, Yamaguchi and Lipinski took home Olympic gold in 92 and 98, respectively. But Kwan was really the phenom of them all. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Between 1996 and 2003, Kwan took home the world title five times. Was U.S. champion nine times between 96 and 2005. Oh my God. And while Kwan was certainly the skater everyone knew most during that time, she never managed to win gold at the Olympics. Oh, that's surprising. I didn't know. I know. That. Uh, she got silver in 98 behind Tara Lipinski, and then third in 2002 behind uh, gold medal winner Sarah Hughes. Mm-hmm. Mm. And then we can't leave the 90s without having a little quick talk <laughs> about Tanya Harding and Nancy Kerrigan. Of course. Uh, to put it in dramatic terms, Kerrigan was the beautiful, pristine, graceful girl next door type, and Harding grew up pretty poor. Her costumes were always kind of docked for looking a bit cheap because that's really all she could afford. Mm-hmm. And she also had the reputation of being the bad girl on the circuit. Mm-hmm. Where Kerrigan skated with grace, Harding skated with power. And people that skated with power were always judged more harshly. Mm-hmm. And this takes me to judging in figure skating. The ISU, for ages, judged on a six-point system that took into account nailing your tricks that you had lined up, you said you'd perform, and then that indescribable presence and grace and poise on the ice that you get rated on. Mm. Even if, like Harding, you were the first American woman to land a triple axel in competition, they wouldn't quite care if you didn't look flawlessly beautiful while doing it. So Tanya could jump and jump high, which was one of the reasons she was successful. Mm-hmm. And these high jumps mean you can spin more in the air. So these judges looking at difficulty would probably rate an elegant double over a powerful triple. Mm-hmm. And the judging in this sport has honestly always been pretty awful. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've always shamelessly been upper class and very shallow. And so while Tanya would perform harder sets, she usually had to rely on Nancy or Christy making some kind of mistake in order to pull out a win. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this rivalry, as you know, culminated in Kerrigan being clubbed in the knee at the 94 U.S. Championships by a hitman that was hired by Harding's ex-husband. However, Kerrigan did recover and managed to end up winning silver at the 94 Olympics later that year, while Harding only finished in eighth. You know, that that classicism that ha- kind of happens between um, Harding and Kerrigan is really apparent in the 30 for 30 documentary that you were talking about. Is that absolutely that really um, because I mean, while we were alive during that time, and re- I definitely remember hearing about that and like the jokes on SNL and that kind of thing. But I feel like that wasn't as apparent then as in looking back, you know, hindsight is always twenty twenty. But looking back, like the classicism that was really prevalent in figure skating at that time between these two women was like super apparent and very like black and white. And that documentary really like highlights that in a major way. And I thought it was really interesting. It's uh yeah. The judges have always been very bougie upper class Mm -hmm. and it's, it's affected skating forever. In fact, sticking with scandals, let's go forward to 2002. Great. Uh, Sarah Hughes little rich girl from New York shocked pretty much everyone when she performed a more or less flawless routine in Salt Lake city and won gold. Uh, and she did so in what can only be described as when you go to the hairdresser and say, give me the Sarah McLaughlin. <laughs> uh, I'm not joking. Uh, do you remember what she looked like? Yes. <laughs> I was yeah. say, if you don't search Sarah Hughes, 2002, look at that hair and tell me yeah. I'm wrong. Uh, <laughs> But the real story here is that of uh, Marie-Ryan Lagunier. 
or as she is derisively called by fans and almost only called ever now, the French judge. Uh-oh. Uh, Lagunier's judging was highly questionable at these games, and she was approached by officials in her hotel lobby. And when they questioned her, she broke down crying. Oh uh, Canadian pairs skaters Jamie Saleh and uh, David Pelletier were the clear favorites to win the gold. They were both gorgeous. They rarely skated poorly together, uh, but they did have one small trip during their number. However, it wasn't on an element or a, a trick, I guess mm-hmm. you'd call it. It was just in the transition between. The Russian duo of Elena Bereshnaya and Anton Sikorlidsky did make one error in which Anton turned out of a double axle too early. And that error is on an element. Mm-hmm. Errors on elements, as you might guess, instead of skating, between the elements rank higher in error. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yet, Lagunier ranked the Russians higher for their presentation, which controversially gave the Russians the gold. Mm. Uh, Lagunier confessed that she had been pressured by the head of the French Federation to give the gold to the Russians in exchange for giving the French the gold in ice dancing. <gasps> Get out. And guess who took home the gold in ice dancing that year? Was it was it the French? It was the French. <laughs> Get the hell out of here. I didn't hear about this. My God. Oh, yeah. Le uh, the, the French judge later contradicted herself, and she said, no, I actually did believe the Russians were better, but nobody believes her. Mm-hmm. And uh, Saleh and Pelletier have retroactively been awarded gold for it. Wow. Okay. Good. Uh and uh, you might be wondering, what's Marie-Raine Lagunier doing today? She's uh, running a shiatsu massage parlor in Strasbourg, France. <laughs> I mean, I guess there are worse things. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, that's what we're up to. How the mighty have fallen. Uh, so the 2000s are actually a pretty important decade for skating because this is when we started to get a bit more diverse. Mm-hmm. Uh, while Midori Ito and Chen Lu and Yuka Sato were all world champions in the late 80s and the 90s, the aughts were the first time we were regularly seeing non-white skaters winning. Uh, Miki Ando and Mao Asada from Japan were regularly trading off world champion honors. Uh, Shizuka Arakawa also of Japan, won the 2006 gold medal. And Yuna Kim of South Korea gave what's probably the best ladies singles Olympic performance of all time in Vancouver in 2010. She was also a two-time world champion. Mm. And this uh, this kind of traded off to the men this diversity did in 2010 with the rise of Patrick Chan of Canada and the sudden emergence of successful male skaters from Japan like Daisuke Takahashi, Shoma Uno, and maybe the greatest man to ever skate, Yuzuru Hanyu. Hanyu has won the last two Olympic golds and he lands quads four turns in the air like they are no big deal. Oh Oh my god. He jumps. practically flying. If you, if you watch someone do a quad in competition, it is mind-blowing how fast they are spinning. Like, you cannot really see it, even focusing. It's mm. so fast. Oh, my God. Uh, and the, the quad is, like, the thing now. Mm-hmm. The first quad landed in competition was by Canadian heartthrob Kurt Browning at the mm. 1988 World Championships. And if you do go watch that video, he, he comes out of it a little sketchy, but he does land it. <laughs> uh, and they've been a big deal for a long time. And... The problem with this is that quads are starting to kind of become the new normal in men's skating. Uh-oh. Uh, Nathan Chen, American hero and heartthrob and two-time defending world champion, uh, regularly lands multiple quads in his routines. 
Mm -hmm. uh, they're nonetheless impressive, but science shows that a quint theoretically is pretty much impossible for humans to achieve. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's like the max is what you're going to Yeah. Get. Like there's just, even with, you'd have to have like the burliest like <laughs> legs to be able to do it. And it's just not likely to ever happen. And so this begs the question sometimes of, is that ever going to be enough? Mm. Uh, and so that lands us here in present day. Uh, all the women that win ladies singles events now are just underweight Russian teenagers. Um, a lot of them are taught by a Terry who is kind of like the premier coach right now, but all she does is scream at her students and tell them not to drink water. So they don't gain water weight. Oh and then God. like once they're 19 and can't compete with the little teeny jumping beans, as they're called, uh, she says, Oh, you should just go get pregnant and make more skaters. That's all I good <gasps> for. She's oh yeah. God. She's just so nice. Oh my gosh. Uh, her main competition in the coaching world right now is Brian Orser out of Canada. And he was world champion for a year between Brian Boitano's two reigns. Okay. He also won silver behind Boitano at the 88 Olympics in Calgary in what the media called the Battle of the Brians. Oh, of course. Mm -hmm. uh, Orser is known for being very Carmen's and the Brians in the same yes, year. You had, you had Battle of Brians and Battle of Carmen's. Uh, and Orser's known for being very kind in his approach. He's like, hey, how about you select the music that you get to skate to so you're happy with it? Mm -hmm. And then even with all this diversity, I feel like there's one last person we need to talk about. We're going to go back to the 90s, and we need to talk about Surya, Surya Bonali. Yeah, Surya Bonali. She's uh she's she's great. And this goes back to Grace versus Power because I completely missed this paragraph between uh Kerrigan, Harding, and Sarah Hughes. Mm. So if we want to edit it in there, we might be able to. Josh can do um, it. But Josh is <laughs> I apologize. It's okay. Um and so talking about Grace versus Power, uh there's a notable name of being robbed in this department that is Surya Bonali. Uh, mm -hmm. She was a black French figure skater and she was an absolute fan favorite in the 90s. She was a champ on the European circuit, winning the continental title five times from 91 to 95. Uh, but the judges on the international circuit and even lower levels than that just did not take to her. Mm -hmm. They dismissed her as cocky because she exuded confidence and excitement on ice instead of that regal sense of self that they love. Sure, yeah, yeah. Uh, and of course, this can pretty easily be attributed to racist attitudes. I mean, we hear mm -hmm. the same thing about Serena Williams a hundred mm -hmm. times. Oh my God, yeah. If, if Serena gets mad, it's a huge deal, apparently. But when someone like Maria Sharapova screams, they don't care because she's a conventionally attractive blonde white woman. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And so exactly. because of the color of her skin, Bonali was always treated less than. And there's no arguing that really. Mm -hmm. And by the time of her third Olympics in 1998, she'd kind of had enough. Yeah. Uh, since 1976, a certain move had been banned by the International Skating Union. And so in her last Olympics, Surya decided to play to the crowd, who clearly appreciated her more than the judges. Mm -hmm. She'd injured herself slightly, and so she couldn't land the triple lets she planned on doing originally. So in a moment of true showwomanship, she landed a backflip on ice on <gasps> only one blade. Get the hell out of here. I have never heard of this. I'm immediately going to be going to YouTube. And they're like, do you're not allowed to do it. backflip on the ice. So this, you're disqualified. Exactly. And so she she landed only on one blade because technically landing a black flip on two blades was against the rule. And they still deducted her two points for it. But you're going to watch this video and you're going to see her land it. You're still going to be terrified that she's going to fall every time. Yeah. It is oh my gorgeous. God. 
We'll put it in the comments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, we'll link to it. We'll link this to this it. backflip is just iconic. There's a, someone got a perfect picture still of her, where her head is just straight down, pointed at the ice, and her legs are split uh, on the ice, and it is just a gorgeous photograph. Oh and this God. backflip was just a perfect love letter to her fans and a perfect screw you to the judges. Love it. I love that. And so with that, that is our history of uh, figure skating for guest Tober. I think I have not 10, but rather a figure eight set of questions for you. Oh my God. I'm so this excited. Is wonderful. But- so let's talk about questions involving figure skating that aren't really about figure skating. Yes. Question number one. During her Olympic success in 1998, 15-year-old Tara Lipinski skated to the gold to the songs Journey to the Past and Once Upon a December from what recently released animated film. Question 2. Russian figure skater Evgeny Plushenko famously did an exhibition skate, which is usually where the winners of a competition skate around and perform for fun to the crowd, to the song Sex Bomb, a year 2000 hit by what then 60-year-old Welshman? Question number three. Ice is something you skate on, and ice cubes were accidentally invented by John Gorey when he tried to make a refrigerator to cool the air around him. The predominant theory at this time, 1844, was that diseases like cholera and the plague were caused by bad air. From the Greek for pollute, what noun beginning with the letter M is defined as, quote, a highly unpleasant smell or vapor, and was the name of this theory of bad air. Question number four. Skates are something you use on ice, and skates are also a kind of cartilaginous fish in the Batoida family of fish. What term do we use for this family of fish, all distinctive in appearance? Question five. I mentioned the Battle of the Carmens earlier, where Katarina Witt and Debbie Thomas both skated to that music the same year. What Frenchman's best-known work is that very opera? Question number six. Speaking of French judges, Maximilien Robespierre was one of the most influential leaders of the French Revolution. One of the many ideas for which he campaigned was the stripping of what quality in order to be a part of the clergy? Question seven. In 2016, what former figure skater wore a lapel pin of a white and pink horse to the Kentucky Derby while covering the event that would light up and gallop every time the hashtag WatchMeNayNay was used on Twitter? And number eight, skating was first found to exist in Finland. One famous product also created in Finland are the famous orange-handled Fiskars, F-I-S-K-A-R-S. What product am I talking about? We'll give you a quick break to think those over, and we will be right back. Yo, VIP. Let's kick it. And listen, I sit back with my brand new invention. Something grabs a hold of me tightly, flow like a harpoon daily and nightly. Will it ever stop? Yo, I don't know. Turn off the lights and I'll glow to the 
extreme, I rock a mic like a vandal. Light up a stage and wax a chump like a candle. Dance, caress the speaker that booms. I'm killing your brain like a poisonous mushroom. Deadly, when I play a dope melody, anything less than the best is a felony. Love it or leave it, you better gain weight. You better hit bulls out of kid, don't play. If there was a problem, yo, I'll solve it. Check out the hook while my DJ revolves it. This is a fantastic I love it. quiz. I, I love, love this it. quiz. This is just my typical question writing style, so I thank you. I love it. I love it. I'm excited, and I'm also concerned because I hope you have some answers, Julia, because there are a couple in the middle there that couple. I was like, yeah-oh. <laughs> uh, so, number one, if you need it again, during her yeah. Olympic success in 1998, 15-year-old Tara Lipinski skated to gold to the songs Journey to the Past and Once Upon a December from what recently released animated film. I have a guess, Lauren. Please, because I wrote guess, down. My guess is Anastasia. Oh, yes, that's a good answer. Okay, I like that. That's our that's our answer. The correct answer is Anastasia. Yeah. Yeah. Well uh-huh. done. Check mark. Question number two. Russian figure skater Evgeny Plushenko famously did an exhibition skate, which is usually where the winners of a competition just come out and do a fun skate to the, you know, cheer the crowd up and show off he did one of these to the song sex bomb which was a year 2000 hit performed by what then 60 year old welshman lauren is dancing on camera i know this one because it's tom fucking jones underwear being thrown all over the place oh my God, it is tom place. fucking jones <laughs> the sexiest welshman <laughs> the sexiest 60 year old welshman that's ever been <laughs> He's a, yeah, he's delightful. I, there's, there's something very like cheesy and kitschy about him that I can get behind, whether it's sixties or two thousands. Absolutely. Question number three, ice is something you skate on and ice cubes were accidentally invented in 1844 by John Gorey when he tried to make a refrigerator to cool the air around him. The cubes, uh, by the way, were just what was stuck to the inside of the fridge. The predominant theory from this time was that diseases like cholera and the plague were caused by bad air. From the Greek for pollute, what noun beginning with an M is defined as a highly unpleasant smell or vapor and was the name for this theory of bad air? I have I an idea, one. Lauren. Okay, you go ahead. Okay. It's, is, is, we might be thinking the same yeah. thing. Is it miasma? I was going to say melasma. No, no, miasma. Sure. <laughs> okay, we're going with Great. miasma. The correct answer is the miasma theory. Uh, I was afraid y'all were going to say malaria, which is the Italian <laughs> Latin for bad air. Ooh, Mal- I didn't know aria. that. That's interesting. That well, it's because, uh, that's because they uh, noticed it because people would get it when they went to the swamps. Oh, uh, sure. Because like mosquitoes and stuff. And so swamps have nasty air. So they just thought, no, eh, it's the bad yeah, air. Yeah, it's the air. Yeah. Huh. Um, and melisma, which is what you might have been thinking, is basically how you sing when you're Mariah Carey or Whitney <laughs> Houston. You just hit eight no- eight different notes in one breath. <laughs> Exactly. Or, or pull pull your best Christina Aguilera. Exactly, yes. <laughs> you have to start every song with... <laughs> also, shout out to the movie Burlesque, which is actually the only thing gayer than dressing up with your student in a bear costume and Absolutely. doing figure skating. Agreed. <laughs> Wagon wheel Watusi. Oh, Anyways. God. 
<laughs> Question number four. Skates are something you use on ice, and skates are also a kind of cartilaginous fish uh, in the Batoidea family of fish. Uh, what term do we usually use for this family of fish, which are all very distinctive in appearance? I think they're very flat, Lauren. I don't okay. know what that is, though. Um, I don't. I don't know a lot about fish. Um, I was like going to say bony. Fish? I was just going to say bony fish, <laughs> but you already used the word bony, so probably not. Um, let's go with sunfish because I have no idea. The correct answer here: they are all part of the ray family. They're rays. all rays. They are. Yeah, they're they're big and flat. I just didn't know. Mm. Okay, Big cool, and cool. flat. Uh, number five, I mentioned the Battle of the Carmens, where Katarina Witt and Debbie Thomas faced off to music from that opera, but I wanted you to tell me which Frenchman composed Carmen. That's Bizet. Yeah. It is indeed Georges Bizet. Nice job, Joel. His other famous opera is The Pearl Fishers, but it's not Carmen, so nobody really cares. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's, Carmen, still, said, it's still actually pretty popularly performed around <laughs> Europe, but... Uh, you know, it's not Carmen, which is one of the like 10 most performed. A very oddly good at opera trivia for whatever reason. I don't know why. That's awesome. Is that, can, did you, you watch... can, you, can you tell I'm a massive raging bisexual with my opera <laughs> <That's> <laughs> right. figure skating trivia? Uh, you hey, are refined, all right? You are re- yeah, you're you're elegant and refined. Did you watch the Beyonce Carmen? Do you remember that on MTV? Oh, a, a hip hopera? A hip hopera, yes! Oh, so and what well, that that came out a few years after O, which was mm-hmm. Othello said at a high school with Mackay yes. Pfeiffer. Oh my God, you're bringing we're starting me a back. movie club. I'm I'm doing it now. We're starting a movie club. Okay, great. The, the, those are the first two movies we're watching. <laughs> uh, question number six. Speaking of French judges, Maximilien Robespierre was one of the most influential leaders of the French Revolution, specifically the Reign of Terror. Uh, But one of the many ideas he fought and campaigned for was the stripping of what quality in order to be in the clergy? I'm going to let you take this, Jewel. Because I don't know. I don't remember anything about the French Revolution. Well, hmm, this is more of a religion question. Um, uh, I wonder if it's something to do with um having to be celibate stripping of uh sexual needs <laughs> <laughs> sorry i'm not sure that's yeah. actually one of my strengths on my resume in case you didn't <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i mean maybe something to do with, I, I guess that was my first thought the, was like the vow celibacy. celibacy yeah vow celibacy or stripping of like relationships or something like that is that our guess? That's our guess. Yeah. The correct answer is celibacy or virginity. Great. Uh, question number seven. In 2016, what former figure skater wore a lapel pin of a white and pink horse to the Kentucky Derby while covering the event that would light up and gallop every time the hashtag watch me nay nay was used on Twitter? Um, what year was this, did you say? 2016. Well, okay. it's, it's got to be the guy that's always with Tara Lipinski. Yes. What's Johnny. His name? Johnny. Oh, I just thought Johnny, Johnny Unitas, which is like <laughs> the wrong person. Johnny. 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 I can draw him. With I know. Head. I can see him in my, fit, in my head. With the hair? Yes, with his big pompadour his, and like... his lip gloss. He always had like the shiniest, puffiest lips. <sighs> Johnny oh, God, Gull. what's his name? No. Nope, not Johnny Galecki. That's Big Bang Theory. Um, he doesn't go by a mononym. He's not just Johnny. <laughs> He's 
<laughs> not all of us can be Beyonce or Cher. <laughs> oh, damn it. Terry you know, Lipinski and Johnny. Not... Dude, imagine that you were like a, a mononymous artist like Beyonce or Cher, but your name was just like Dave. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, call to the stage. Derek. Derek. <laughs> it's Derek. <laughs> <laughs> you 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 got the right guy. You just need the last name. Oh, no, um. <sighs> I remember, Joel? Can you remember? I'm gonna be so mad. Oh, you want a hint? Can you give us the give first us- letter of the last name? Uh, it is W. Johnny Weir. Johnny, Johnny Weir. Weir. <laughs> w E I R Johnny Weir is correct. <laughs> Uh, if you want to watch a fun exhibition skate, whenever he would medal at a competition uh, around 2009, 2010-ish, he would do his routine to Poker Face by Lady Gaga. He did. That big, giant queen. Please. <laughs> he, he is. I love um, them, though. I love them together. I want NBC to have them cover everything. The I want them Bowl, to do please. Sunday Night Football. I want them to do the World Series. I- <laughs> Absolutely. They're a dream team that we'll, we'll never see again in our lifetimes. Honestly, I, I, Abbott and who? <laughs> Laurel and who? Exactly. exactly. Tara and Johnny. Yes, absolutely. Headline that Carnegie Hall. Here we come. Exactly. Um, and question number figure eight. Skating was first found to exist in Finland, as we went over. And one famous product also created in Finland are famous orange-handled Fiskars. F-I-S-K-A-R-S. What the hell am I talking about? Take it, Lauren. Uh, those are scissors. Those are those orange-handled scissors. Absolutely well done. She is voguing. <laughs> I just she noticed, like, we've been recording for an hour, and I just noticed that Lauren is wearing her hashtag pony shirt that we got from Magic Mike she- Live. <laughs> Um, when we <laughs> were in Vegas for Geek Ball. So, yes. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it was great. It was uh, it truly the best, one of the best and most uncomfortable shows I've ever participated in. And it was, <laughs> I would do it again in a heartbeat. It was wonderful. <laughs> you need to you need to start a blog where you go to like that and the thunder from down under in every mail review show. Yes. Ugh. Yeah. It'll be like a re- Yeah. We'll do reviews. We'll do like the, you know, the, the highs and lows. I think that's good. That's that's what we can do after we retire from the reviews. low was uh, chances soul patch for sure. <laughs> <laughs> a soul patch is always the low. Oh, I mean, let's be my honest. God. I mean, tell that to Billy Ray Cyrus. That's true. <laughs> oh, Am no, I wait. Right? That proves your point. <laughs> that's true oh my god, oh my god. ryan that was ryan. so wonderful well i thank just had an absolute so delight with you all thank you so much for having oh, me thank you so much for being on the show we are so excited and if you ever want to come back and talk about whatever like your <laughs> lunch that day we are more than happy to have you on i would be happy to give me a topic and i'll do it i love learning right. i love writing i'm very thankful to be here with you all and talk about something i love and mostly just hang out with y'all you're fine oh, you're delightful oh that's so great i just wish you were so far away now you host you host a pub quiz don't you i do and uh uh but i don't it's it's pretty fresh though so like i don't have like a name or anything for it yet i'm basically just gonna have blank ass pieces of paper with lines on it and numbers um but i do i do that i host i write i write for other people and uh it's delightful Oh, that's great. Thank you so much. Thank you to Ryan. Thanks, thanks Ryan. To, thanks to everybody who was listening. Um, and uh, yeah, thanks for listening, you guys. And we hope that you're all doing well. And uh, kicking off Guest-tober. 
Yes, kick it off Gastober in the best possible way. Pew, pew, pew. Um, you owe so me a thanks dollar. So much- <laughs> thanks. Okay, I do. I owe you a dollar. <laughs> um, thanks so much for listening, guys. We'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye. <laughs>